Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. from Bill Cowher making the Pro Football Hall of Fame and people wondering if Mike Tomlin will when he becomes eligible. Some people think Tomlin should be a lock because Cowher made it because the two have very similar records. But here's a stat nobody's talking about. Cowher was 21-12 and 12 in the playoffs and Tomlin is 8-7. and seven. I also feel like Cowher got the maximum out of his resources and Tomlin is not. Tomlin hasn't won enough with Ben Roethlisberger. And even though Tomlin performed a miracle by getting A.B. on the field for as long as he did to play as well as he did, the Steelers definitely didn't win enough during that toxic Twins era. So if Cowher was on the right side of 50-50 when it comes to the Hall of Fame, perhaps Tomlin is not. Not hating. Just saying. Tomlin got to the Super Bowl, excuse me, Cowher got to a Super Bowl with Neil O'Donnell at quarterback. Tomlin's only won three playoff games in the last nine years, and that's with Ben Roethlisberger at QB. Cowher had two six-win seasons and one other losing seasons, but I would say his body of work is more impressive. Cowher got to eight AFC championship games with three different quarterbacks. Tomlin's only got the three AFC Championship games, and he's had Ben every year. Cower over Tomlin. Not by much, but definitely so. Captain Nemo brought to you by 84 Lumber, showing you the right way to build since 1956. Going to have Brett Kiesel on to talk about Bill Cower just a little bit away at about 4.15. I still think I've come up with a genius idea. Make that a super genius idea. Saying that Houston should start the season at minus 10. The Astros. That the first 10 games they win... Those get listed as losses. They're still losses for the other team. They're not forfeits. You would have an imbalance when you add up the wins and losses for the league, but that's okay. This is a extraordinary circumstance and deserves extraordinary punishment. So the first 10 games they win are counted as losses, and then they go from there. If they win 92 games, that probably won't be enough to make the playoffs. Because it'd be slashed back to 82. If you think that sounds stupid, tell me what you would do. Because even though the Astros lost uh, a first and second round pick for two consecutive years, even though they lost their general manager and coach, 
uh, manager, pardon me. Even though the organization got fined five million bucks, and I agree with Stan, that's butt white money to a multi, multi, multi millionaire like Jim Crane, who owns the Astros. Even though all those sanctions are relatively severe, they've done nothing to hurt the Astros right now. Starting at minus 10 would hurt them right now. It would likely ruin their season. That punishment then becomes legitimately significant. If you wonder where I got the idea, it occasionally happens in soccer. Usually when a team goes bankrupt, because they legislate against that all the time, but for other violations as well. Your thoughts on my thoughts about minus 10, 412-333-WXDX. The Astros supposedly are going to promote one of their assistant coaches to manager, one of the one of the coaches. I think the bench coach who replaced Cora, I think his name's Espada or something like that. But he's been there since 2018, and the sign stealing was going on during that time too. I think it's tough to promote somebody who was there when the scandal happened. Then again, you've got to hire somebody. Then again, maybe the whole coaching staff should have been suspended. i got to talk about something that happened last night that was hilarious during the uh, NHL game on TV. The uh, Philadelphia Flyers beat Boston 6-5 in a shootout. I hate that the Flyers won, to be sure, but here's how it ended. It went to a shootout. I think it went to the fifth shooter before somebody scored. The Flyers scored to go ahead, so Brad Marchand shot for Boston. If he scores, the shootout keeps going. If he doesn't, the Bruins lose. So Marchand approaches the puck at the center line. And when he goes to gather it in, he misses the puck. His stick grazes it, so technically he touched it, but he skates like 20 feet past the puck, having barely touched it. If he hadn't touched the puck, he would have been allowed, you know, a do-over. But he touched the puck, so shootout over. Bruins lose. He touched the puck and lost control of it. He looked like a total jackass. It was one of the more embarrassing things I've ever seen uh, to end a hockey game, to decide one. Almost as embarrassing as Game 7 against St. Louis last year where Marshawn made a bad change and his guy scored and the Blues won Game 7 and won the Stanley Cup. So today people are giving Marshawn stick on Twitter and he says something to a fan by way of reply. Well, my my career is your fantasy you do shootouts in your driveway, something like that. And the whole hockey community, like Whitney and Bissonette, those spitting chicklets guys, and a lot of players involved in broadcasting, they're, oh, way to go, Marshawn, you put him in a body bag. No, you insulted a guy on Twitter. The guy who got put in the body bag is the guy who fanned on the puck at the beginning of a shootout attempt. That's one thing I don't like about hockey. The guys on TV, the ex-players, 
And I love Wits and Biz, but, you know, they're in the media now. These hockey guys in the media don't understand that they're in the media. And the players ain't them. They're not in the brotherhood anymore. And if they want to be any good, if they really want to succeed in the media, you have to bury current players. You have to look at things objectively and call people out because, I'm sorry, I don't care how funny Marshawn is perceived to be on Twitter, and he really isn't. He fanned when he tried to collect the puck on a shootout attempt. Anything Marshawn could say to anybody on Twitter is not as embarrassing as that. Let's go to Eric in South Hills. Eric, you're on the Mark Madden Show. Hey, Mark. What up? Hey, uh, punishment for the Astros. Uh, what about imposing a uh, hard cap that they must meet by day one of opening day next year? That's not a terrible idea. But the players' union would would uh, contest that and then win because you couldn't do that under the CBA. That's why it's so hard to punish the players in the first place, brah. Even guys that you could prove had direct involvement, it's really tough to punish them. Gotcha. Okay, thanks. Let's go to Dan in Tampa. Dan, you're on with Mark. Hey, Mark. Uh, with coming back tonight, I have a, a question or maybe an opinion for you and want to get your thoughts on it. Okay. Uh, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing that while Sid was out, no team in the league had more points than the Penguins. Do you think that's the most impressive thing they've done in the regular season in the Crosby Malkin era? No, I mean it's impressive, well, but that's such a short sample. I- I- I'm really impressed by it. They played so hard every night, 110 percent. But uh, they've done better in the regular season. They've, you know, won divisions, come close to President's trophies. What will be impressive is if they can match that pace now that Sid is back in the lineup. Thank you for the call. Just around the corner, we're going to talk about Bill Cower being in the Hall of Fame with one of his ex-players, the great Brett Kiesel. He's just around the corner here on 105.9. Madden. What up, man? There's always been an unspoken dynamic. I am a lot smarter than you. Okay, so maybe it's a spoken dynamic. The X at 105.9. It's always a pleasure to talk to the man, the legend, the beard, the Super Bowl champion. He is the diesel, Brett Kiesel. Uh, Kies, this is a happy topic, namely Coach Cower getting into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. How did Coach Cower impact your career individually? Well, first off, hey, Mark, thanks for having me on, bud. Can you hear me all right? I'm out here in the mountains, you know. You're not with HBK, are you? I wish. That's my guy, old Sean. You know, he's the best. We had some fun hunting trips together, but I'm hunting solo today. But you are 100% right, my man. That's a great time to to have cower power in our life and, you know, to think about all the the times we got to hang out together and compete together and his influence in my career probably more than anyone you know, he brought me into Pittsburgh with the very last pick in 2002 and uh, gave me an opportunity on special teams. There was really no other place uh, on the team currently in 2002. My my only option really to make it was special teams, and he always believed in special teams as much as the other two phases of the game and gave me my opportunity. And, you know, I'll never forget one game I got a penalty like uh, – some type of, I don't know, unsportsmanlike conduct or something like that. This guy speared me, you know, and Cower 
came to the sideline and he grabbed me by the jersey and he's like, listen, don't ever do that again right in front of the official. <laughs> <laughs> so so he, he appreciated people that played hard and brought it every time, and uh, I'll always be grateful for him for that. Now, was Bill tough to play for? He certainly looked tough. I know that. He spit a lot. But I thought uh, that, that coaching was the priority with him and the toughness was a veneer. I'll tell you what, he was tough, but that's what we all loved about him. You know, he brought that toughness every time, and he was the same every time. And, uh, you know, we loved that about him. We loved the fact that you had to earn a right to get out onto the field. He made you earn it in practice and earn it with your preparation. Uh, we loved the the way in which he did business, you know, how how much he loved the game and the fire and passion that he brought to, to work every day. He was perfect for Pittsburgh. It's awesome to see him forever getting enshrined. Now, uh, do we measure a coach only in wins and losses, Keith? Uh, for you, what makes a coach a good coach in general and with Bill in particular? Well, for me, what I loved about him was the standard of accountability he held his coaches to and his players to. You know, he he knew the standard in Pittsburgh was winning. He knew how much it meant to the fans. He knew how much it meant to the Rooney organization because he grew up here. He was one of us. So he knows what it means. It's a part of our blood. It's a part of who we are. It's a part of what we think about daily sometimes. But he embraced all of that and made sure we as players understood the magnitude and the opportunity that we had to don that uniform, to go through that tunnel on Sundays and represent this great city and this great organization. One thing I thought made Bill... Maybe not new, unique, Keith, but certainly it's a tough thing to do. He could rally the players and always be one of the guys, but you always remembered he was boss. That's kind of a fine line, isn't it? Well, one of his famous quotes for his players was, my door is always open, but if you expect to come in and ask me a tough question, you better expect a tough answer. And that's how he was. You know, he understood the game, and he if you were going to come in and complain about playing time, he would throw the film on and show you exactly why you are playing and why you're on the bench. And so he made us all earn it, you know, and there was never a drop-off. Even once you made a name for yourself or whatever, you still had to go out and prove on a weekly basis that you can get the job done, that your team can count on you, that we can trust you to handle the business. And... We loved him for that, you know. In our Detroit run, the Super Bowl, he was so impactful in that run because the year before, 2004, we went 15 and one. 15 and one, still a Steeler record, you know. And then the next year, we're kind of sitting at seven and five in November, about to lose the playoffs. And I'll never forget him coming through and lighting us us up lighting our team up and making us you know go back to the basic go back to the fundamentals go back to playing for one another rather than for whatever else and he united us then and we went on a run that was the first run for a team in the nfl to do it the first six seed to go all the way and win it 
and to have Jerome go out on top and all of us go out on top. Man, I got my Super Bowl ring on right now thinking about it. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> no, I got to tell you, that, that 05 season, that run, eight wins in a row, all the playoff wins on the road, really, like you said, it was the first time that had been done. It's not often been done since. And it's kind of weird because with, with Coach Cower and your team, it didn't seem impossible. When, the, when it started to come together, there was no reason you couldn't keep going. Well, he really believed in smash-mouth defense and running the football. That was his philosophy in games, you know, and I can't tell you how many games we won, 17-14 to 14 or 13-10, to 14-10, games that came down to the last possession and to the end of the line, but with us controlling the clock, defense playing stingy, you know, that was his philosophy and special teams being a contributor. It could come down to the very last kick. It could come down to the very last punt and pinning them, you know, deep. So he believed in the full three-phase game and playing hard smash-mouth ball. We're talking to Brett Kiesel here on 105.9 The X. Uh, I think one thing that we'll remember about Bill, not just what a great coach he is, but, boy, he was good for showbiz, wasn't he? He's been on CBS ever since he retired. You got the jaw. You got the mustache. Bill's just a very memorable guy, isn't he? I'm actually upset that his wardrobe crew doesn't break out more of those Cosby sweaters that he used to rock so well. <laughs> I mean, he, he gets the turtleneck going these days, but he uh, he needs those old sweaters. We used to love that when he'd come in and you'd try and – keep your eye on the design on those sweaters and try to keep from your eyes going blurry. But he's a fantastic guy, not only a great coach, but such a great person, which is why he does so well now after being a coach and, you know, going into the broadcast booth and, and analyzing football the way he's doing. He's a wealth of knowledge. He loves the game. His whole life work is around the game and still is today. And, uh, you know, I'm just grateful that he picked me all those years back, buddy. Are, are there coaches like Bill anymore, Keith? I'm not sure his style is necessarily prevalent in today's NFL, although I guess there's a few. Yeah, there's probably some. Um, I'm not sure. You know, I loved I loved the passion that he would come in. He'd come in on a on a Wednesday morning meeting, and he would be straight fired up, man. There would be fingers being waved and spit flying, and, you know, it was just an awesome time to be there and such great memories for me because of what he brought to the game every day. You know, he loved it. He loved breaking down film. He loved watching teams and how to how to find a way to beat them, and, and he always loved – and something I appreciated, he always loved the physical nature of the game. And that's kind of getting taken out in some extent, you could say, but it's still very much there in a lot of other senses, you could say. But rules are taking things differently. The players have to play differently. But back when we played for him, he would always say, make them feel you, make them feel you. And by the fourth quarter, we'll be rolling. I hope we have a bit more to celebrate when they announce the modern class for the Hall of Fame because I think Troy Polamalu is the best guy up for it. And for, for God's sakes, Keith, how is Fanica not in already? Yeah, it's I don't get how Allen isn't in. 
Alan was one of those guys when I was in that locker room that if you could ever get by Alan Fanica, which hardly ever happened, you were so excited. I mean, myself, because <laughs> Alan was such, he was such a pro. He was so hard to get by. He was so great at getting downfield. All of our blocking schemes had him pulling. Even, you know, that Super Bowl run with Willie Parker. He's coming around the end, pinning it. And he played that way for Arizona and, you know, the other teams he's with. Like, he was the standard. And I, he'll be in this year, i got to believe. And i got to believe Troy goes in. I feel like we're going to – Steeler Nation is going to be raining confetti all over Canton. <laughs> well, Keith, this has been tremendous. One last thing. February 13th at Jurgles is the final Sheer to Beard, uh, number 10. It's Benefited Children's Hospital. Now, after this, you're going to be clean shaven or just not shave again ever? <laughs> no, you know, I'm going to, you know, grow the beard back and stuff. We just won't do the Sheer to Beard. I'm really excited that this is our 10th year. You know, I have to thank you. You've always been great at promoting the event. And of course, I have to thank Steeler Nation. Wouldn't be wouldn't be where we are as far as fundraising for these great kids and families that are fighting cancer at Children's Hospital. And I'm I'm really pleased and honored to be doing Sheer Ten. We're going to do it at Jurgles again. You can get tickets at Jurgles.com. We got the Ghost Towns coming. We got country superstar Brett Kissel. Yes, that name is right, Brett Kissel. <laughs> I might jump out there and sing a few songs, who knows. And, of course, the Pittsburgh King, Donnie Iris, will be back. It's going to be a legendary party, one that's going to go down in history. I'm really uh, honored to be doing the 10th one, pal. Well, Keith, I'm honored to have you on today to talk about Coach Cower. Uh, have a pleasant hunting trip, and we'll talk real soon, I hope. Thanks, Mark. And go Pens, baby. And there you back. go. Go yeah. Pens. Keith, a big hockey guy as well. Skate some now. Better skater than me, I can promise you that. So thanks to Brett Keeslin. Don't forget, Sheer to Beard is February 13th at Jurgles in Warrendale. Go to the Jurgles website for information. Okay. Uh, I want to get back to talking about, uh, let's keep with that Cower and Tomlin comparison. We always quote the regular season records, and they are almost identical. Each guy's won a Super Bowl. Each guy's lost a Super Bowl. But Bill Cower was in eight AFC championship games. Tom has been in three. Bill Cower is 21 and 12 in the playoffs. Mike Tomlin is eight and seven. Does that separate the two in your mind? 412-333-WXDX. This is the X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Mark, huge fan, love the show. Because that's what you got to do. Hey, Mark, big fan and all that. I, 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 I think you're on to something. Hey. DX at 105.9. So great to talk to Brett Kiesel. Uh, I think he's one of the best guys ever. Then again, I think I'm one of the best guys ever. So take that with a grain of salt. Don't forget, Sheer to Beard, Feb 13 at Jurgles, the final one, number 10. Okay, let's. Uh, we, we, we've been talking about the Houston situation with the Astros. What a disastrous couple of days for, for the town of Houston. The Texans blow that big lead against the Chiefs, and then the Astros get basically blown up. I still think the punishment they should get, in addition to what they did get, is they should get the minus 10. They should start the season with 10 losses. The first 10 games they win, 
are losses for them. They're losses for the other team, too, but you give them a hole they got to dig out of. It doesn't make for an impossible situation, but it makes for a difficult one and certainly more difficult than they face now because their competitive level uh, in the 2020 season is not ruined. And if it's not ruined, it should be made exceedingly difficult. And I think my minus 10 proposal does that. We've also been talking about Cowan and Tomlin. I think when you look at the playoff records of each coach, Cower is clearly superior. When you look at the resources each had to work with, I think Cower made the most of his, and for the last nine years, Tomlin has not. And, of course, we're talking Penguins. I think that's the best topic. Sidney Crosby back tonight, if you're just tuning in. And his line mates will be Jared McCann on the left and Dominic Simone on the right. That doesn't disrupt the Malkin line. It doesn't disrupt the uh, Bluger line. It, it sets everything up nicely, I think, however, temporarily. Although I still think in the long run, Brian Rust winds up back with Sid. But you don't want to take Rust away from Malkin. For that matter, Malkin away from Rust right now. Your thoughts on any or all of those, dial 412-333-WXDX. Let's go to Joe on Route 8. Joe, you're on the Mark Madden Show. Hey, what's up, Mark? How you doing? What up, man? Hey, man. I listen to your Tommy and Coward on comparison. I think Coward built that team, and when he retired, Tommy came in and reaped the benefits off of him. Do you know what I mean? Oh, no. I, I don't agree with that. I all, I know that critics of Tomlin say he won a Super Bowl with Cowher's team, but at Cowher's last year, the same team only won 8-8. Eight and eight. Whoever the coach is at the time deserves credit for whatever that team achieves. Uh, I don't think Tomlin reaped the benefits of Cowher's team. I did, do think he got an established roster. More importantly, I think he got one of the best quarterbacks in football, but I give Tomlin a lot of credit for the work he's done especially early in his coaching career here in Pittsburgh? Well, I mean, everybody has their own opinion. I give Tom and credit for this year, though. This year he did a magnificent job. I, I, I couldn't believe um, we was down to week 17 and we still had a chance to play us. So, I mean, I give Tom and credit for this year. But I think early yeah, on, but, but, but by the same token, Joe, they were 8-5 and five and lost their last three games. How much blame do you put on Tomlin for that? What did he have to work with this year? He had nobody. I mean, everybody. Yeah, they still they still went eight and five, and then lost their last three games, and they lost to two crap teams and one team that used their substitutes. I mean, maybe you have a point there, Mark. Maybe that's why you're the super junior. Oh, of course, I have a point. Uh, you know, just because you do a great job for thirteen games doesn't excuse you when your team soils the bed the last three. But I also agree with that. You know, the quarterbacking situation was putrid. The offensive situation was putrid. And you do want to cut them some slack for that, but still. To be 8-5 and five and locked into a playoff berth and lose to the Bills at home and at the Jets and then Baltimore's backups, despite uh, the quarterbacking situation and how bad the Steelers' offense was, if you're not disappointed with that, then, boy, I, I, I don't get what you're thinking. But... Uh, they had they had a good season considering the circumstances. I'm just very disappointed with how it ended. I thought they could have squeaked into the playoffs. They 
they would not have pulled what Tennessee is. They would have got buried by New England that first game. Maybe not buried, but certainly beat. But uh, Tennessee's the hot team at the right time. Thank you for the call, Joe. Let's go to Seth and Harmer. Seth, you're on the Mark Madden Show. Good day, sir. I said good day. Uh, just curious, how do you think Gino? you think Gino's going to be able to maintain his level of play with Sid coming back, or do you see him kind of going back to the way he was before Sid got hurt? Well, I think Gino's played really well all year. I just think he found another gear with Sid hurt, as he often seems to do, and I've never ascertained whether that's coincidence or whether there's something there that uh, doesn't add up but is happening. But uh, I expect Gino to maintain how he's playing, and I think leaving him with Rustin Cahoon was a nod by the coaching staff to making sure that happens. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. We, one can only hope, right? What do you make of Cahoon? Uh, when we got him from Chicago, uh, Jim Rutherford said that one reason was that he plays so well with good players, but it took an awful long time for Cahoon to get a chance with good players. Ever since he got that shot on the Malkin line, he's really been ripping it up. I'm super impressed. Yeah, absolutely. I actually really like his passing. You know what Cahoon does that Sid wouldn't like if he played with them? He holds onto the puck a tick longer before he makes a play, but he's very effective at doing that. That's his game. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I think he was a very under-the-radar pickup. I mean, Ole was a good, solid defenseman, but I guess they, they had to fill it up with a, a quick winger that could, you know, control the puck a little bit. Thank you for the call. And I, I was a big Ole fan, but that trade is working out just fine uh, for the Penguins. Uh, a former Penn State football player has fought a lawsuit against the university. Uh, the coach, James Franklin, and a former teammate, Damian Barber. The suit alleges that Humphreys was subject to hazing, brought on by Barber and three other teammates, and that the coaching staff was aware of the hazing and did not protect Humphreys. The allegations include instances where the named players collectively orchestrated, directed, and facilitated a campaign to harass and haze underclassmen on the Penn State football team. The hazing alleged in the suit includes the participants stating that they intended to make the underclassmen their bitch because this is a prison. At one point, the participants said to those being hazed, I'm going to Sandusky you. And there's a lot of weird, sexy stuff, genitals in the face, blah, 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 just rotten stuff. Now, if the coaches knew, yeah, Franklin got to go, honestly, if he knew, especially there. And, and the, the players who, part, who who instigated the hazing, how on earth could they think that, A, that was a good idea to have sexually oriented hazing at Penn State after what did happen with Sandusky? And how on earth did they think they would get away with it? And, and why would they think any good could come from it? It goes to show what I said years ago in the wake of the Sandusky scandal. Penn State should have got the death penalty. Their football program should have been wiped out for a number of years or temporarily because those yokels up there in Hick Mountain never learn. They think they're self 
governing. But they're not, and I'm very curious to see how this plays out, if indeed the NCAA does get involved. But uh, Penn State, once again, very unfortunately, is Creepy Valley. Up next, uh, going to talk, let's keep talking Penguins. Let's keep that going because they got the Hockey Night Show from 5. Going to talk a bit more about A.B. and his shenanigans. This is the Mark Madden Show, 105.90X. It's Abby. But this is one of those mornings. The Spirit Rhino Gentlemen's Club. Open at 6 p.m. daily. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Mark Madden. Yes. Your voice is like sweet nectar to my ears. The last thing we need is a lot of loose talk. Hmm? Hmm? I like it. I like it. The X at 105.9. Oh, for the love of God, Chris Jericho's on ESPN right now. And DD Me was on a couple seconds ago. Jericho's everywhere. I love Jericho. I can live with that. I guess Paige and I have a kind of detente, but still, ESPN. Then again, that's an old man station, and he's an old man. Maybe it does add up. 412-333-WXDX is the number to call. Uh, I, I want to go, I don't know if I'd call this political. I guess there's no other thing to label it, but there's a big... Uh, Fuss in Hollywood now because Vince Vaughn, the actor, was seen shaking Donald Trump's hand. I guess he conversed with Trump and the First Lady. And all of Hollywood saying, well, I don't respect Vince Vaughn anymore. I don't find him entertaining now. Okay, what does him shaking hands with the president have to do with him being entertaining or not? Is that how you judge what's entertaining? If I were you, I'd watch old school. And ask yourself if Vince Vaughn's entertaining, because I think he's hella funny, although maybe he's not been in a bit. Hasn't made a great movie in a bit. And boy, that, that one he did with WWE, that fighting with my family, I wasn't a fan. But uh, I just don't think you can judge the performance of an entertainer based on his perceived political affiliation. For example, if the left thinks that Vince Vaughn isn't entertaining now, then the right should think that Robert De Niro is not entertaining because all he talks about is wanting to punch Donald Trump in the face, which honestly, I think De Niro's a phony tough guy. I think he believes his own BS from the movies. I don't think he'd have the balls to punch anybody in the face. But uh, should we think Robert De Niro is not a good actor now if, if you're a right winger? Because I think he's a great actor, one of the greatest of all time. What does who you support politically or shake hands with have to do with anything? Like Bill Maher said, all the left needed to do to win this election coming up is be less crazy than Trump. And at that, so far, they are failing miserably. And by the way, Maher is the lib, and he's disavowing the extreme lib we see now. As for me, I'm neutral. I'm going to be fine either way. Don't worry about old double M. Uh, the Browns named a new coach, Kevin Stefanski. The owner, Jimmy Haslam, says he is smart and also football smart. That's a nice change because I think Freddie Kitchens was none of the above. I think Baker Mayfield is very likely none of the above. Four one two three 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 WXDX. 
Let's go to Joe in Bethel Park. Joe, you're on the Mark Madden Show. Mark, you're like the Switzerland of politics. <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 I try to be because I, I think they're all nuts. I think they all suck. I think that none are better than the other. And I think the way it's divided our country is one of the darkest chapters in our history. You're here. You're here. Hey, how much did you enjoy seeing Kessel not score during that shootout? Oh, I, well, I'm glad Phil didn't score because that was the sudden death shot. And I wanted to see Pittsburgh win, which the Penguins exactly. ultimately did. I, I wish Phil no ill will at all. And when he went down on the, on the shootout, I thought he'd score because that's a hell of a story. But he did not, and I'm glad about that. One thing about Phil is, uh, by, by most reasonable measures, he's not having a good season. Dude has only three even-strength goals, and it's almost the middle of January. In fact, it is the middle of January. So even though Galchenyuk's been pretty bad, I don't think Phil's been much better. Do you? I don't. And like you said, uh, he hit his expiration date in Pittsburgh, and it worked out well for us. Yeah, but I, I got to tell you, I am a bit surprised that he didn't come out hot in Phoenix. And by that I mean, whenever Phil's debuted someplace, whether it's Boston and then Toronto and then Pittsburgh, he's always come out hot. He's always started the season, you know, well. In fact, had a good year or two or three like in Pittsburgh. But... uh for Phoenix right now, he only has nine goals and 18 assists, only three goals at even strength, and he's minus 19. Time waits for no man. I mean, Phil's minus 106 on his career. The numbers sometimes lie, but I don't think that one does. Thank you for the call. 412-333-9939. Let's talk to, uh, do we have Big Z up yet? Let's go to Big Z here on the Mark Madden Show. Hey now, Double M. Hey now. So what I wanted to talk about was Dominic Cahoon. I heard you mentioning him earlier, and it is good to see him playing with really good players. But I remember what GMJR said when we got him. One of the main reasons was that he wanted a guy that could score even strength goals. And nine of his ten goals are even strength. Maybe one of them is shorthanded, but I think most of them are even strength. And that was such a key need for us after last year, being able to find someone who can score even strength goals. And I think he's just that. I don't disagree with one word you said, but if you'll recall, I've said Cahoon was a player ever since I saw him at training camp. I just think he has that, that instinct with the puck. Like I said, knowing when to hold on to it for an extra tick that, uh, and, and I think his intelligence in that regard makes him a real threat. And it's shown up now that he's getting, more ice time, and with better players. Do you think that Sid could potentially adjust to playing with him, or do you think that extra bit of time he hangs on to the puck will just dismiss any chance of that happening? I wouldn't dismiss any chance, but I can tell you Sid would not like that. Right. as Well, Dominic Simone's back on that line already, which that's who's comfortable Well, you see, here's the thing. Sid really likes to play with Simone and feels they fit together well, so I have no problem with them playing together. Right. I mean, if he's happy, then that's pretty key. Um, you know, if you look at players like, you know, look at what Mike Babcock did and made people miserable all the time. You have to cater to your top players and let them be, you know. Well, not not cater, and I don't think Sully does cater, but you have to let them have input. And uh, Sid's always had input, and I think that's a good thing. Thank you for the call. Okay, we got Michael in Minneapolis on hold in 30 seconds. 
We're going to talk about AB's latest escapades and how a lot of people are making excuses for him. It's the Mark Madden Show on 105.9 X.